the Augustin Hozinga Show with your host Augustin Hozinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Why, hello there. Welcome back to the Agostino Zinger Show with I, your host, Agostino Zinger, and this is episode number 707. That is 707 of the Agostino Zinger Show with I, your host, Agostino Zinger, and I hope you are doing well wherever this podcast may find you. I hope you are doing swimmingly. How am I? Pretty good or considered pretty good. I just activated my Zero app, so I'm fasting now until the next, what, 16 hours, and then going to be eating sometime in the evening. So, just when you're listening to this my belly will be rumbling my head will be spinning but at least i'll be fitting into my size 32 jeans that's all that matters but apart from that i'm feeling good i'm feeling fine ready to go ready to blow i've got a very very interesting few weeks coming up to for me um i'm gonna really be ramping up my training and doing a few two a days during a week because i want to be in the best shape possible when i do end up going to berlin because i just love to flip and go there looking tight looking lean and not even for anybody it's not even like an impressing thing it's not even like a gallus thing it's just more so because we're going to be spending a lot of time on the dance floor and usually i'm not as much of a baby when i go out there i kind of surrender myself to the space i surrender myself to the rave i don't cry and complain you're not seeing me sitting down or popping to the toilets every two minutes because i'm bored i usually try my best to stay on the dance floor for as long as possible and i usually for the most part stay out basically all night all the way into the morning and because this particular weekend i'm going which is going to be october the 14th i think that weekend there's a really good obviously night happening in Bergheim which I'm definitely going to go down and see but there's also more importantly one of my favorite parties hosted by Finn Johansson called Powerhouse and that's happening at Paloma Bar with none other than DJ Pete, which I'm looking so forward to seeing and to being a part of. So um, the last time I went there, I stayed basically until like, what, nine in the morning and then end up kind of um, befriending um, this cool couple who we ended up kind of hanging out with and then ended up befriending a, a few other people. And this guy that happened to live around the corner from Paloma Bar, we went around to his house, but then it got really depressing because we found out his kid was there but sleeping in the bedroom. And I think a few of us kind of decided to leave because it kind of felt a bit weird but if it was a cool night to kind of see that side of um, Berlin because for the most part when I do go there I do bump into people here and there but they usually they usually kind of don't live in the Kreuzbergy area they're usually in Neuklon they may be in Wedding they might be in Prince Lauerberg, but to find somebody that lives in that kind of center Kreuzberg type of area and obviously you know the guy seemed pretty chill and cool and stuff but then we ended up being in a room you know with all the lights on with people flipping crushing lines of care in front of me on a mirror that was absolutely a mad sight and I was like okay cool maybe this isn't a place for me but I enjoyed the place anyway because one thing I can do 
one thing you can trust me to do is to acclimatize to my surroundings. I saw them crushing up the flipping cat and late, you know, and doing lines of that, you know, at flipping what 10 a.m. in the morning. And if you've ever flipping had cat before, you know how harsh that thing is. You know how much of a disassociative it is and everything. It's just not the type of thing I'm ever going to do anyway, especially not at 10 a.m. in the morning after I've been up, you know, for like 12 hours. So I just kind of let them enjoy. I had my crisp, I had my drinks and shit that I bought, kind of like hung hangover food. And um, yeah, I was sharing a couple of my snacks and I had my little orange juice and I was kind of enjoying life and holding court and making conversations and chatting away. And I remember just having an absolute blast. So all those things I do when I go there, I need to be in my best condition possible. It's sort of like a... Um, what you call it a raving training camp right i'm putting myself in the best shape possible so when i hit the ground running i can flipping rave and get down with it do you know what i mean and just be like mm, mm, ah, ah, and be honest so i'm really looking forward to it all these i want to see there so i can't wait to flip and go i'm honestly so excited it might be the most excited i've been in a while and obviously when i'm going i'm gonna be sweet i'm gonna be dripped up and shit you know what i mean i'm just gonna be enjoying my around my surroundings and really making the most of it and now that the weather is cold because as much as i did want to go in the, in the summer i made loads of plans i didn't really follow through and usually when i don't follow through with things it's nine times out of ten because i don't want to do it so subconsciously i didn't want to do it because it'll be too warm i'm not the warm type of guy if i'm gonna go to a beach place i'll go to a beach place but i just hate going to like a city environment where it's super hot and it's not great air conditioning and i'm having to walk around and i'm sweating everywhere and it's just get i get all self-conscious yeah i mean I, I just don't like it so i prefer to go when it's cool and me loves cold fashion i love to be able to wear like big bomber jackets big sweatpants big balenciaga boots saint laurent boots vetemore jackets now i mean like all my little korean brand shit that's all like double double xl 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 and it'll obviously look way better when i lose a couple lbs like all that stuff is great but having to kind of wear like summer raving clothes is horrible because everyone ends up looking the same jean shorts pop socks um or like sorry um what you call it um knee-high socks or something that you maybe pull down a little bit dr martins or any other n number of boots you kind of all have the same type of look and i think it's kind of boring so i do prefer when i'm able to go to these kind of places and i can wear my actual designer bits and pieces so i'm looking forward to doing that that's going to be such a blast i cannot wait honestly i'm super excited to go and i'm really really anxious to go and rave and have a good time because i haven't really been having a rave or a good time over here in london i've been kind of boring in that regard um but again it's not my fault i did everything correct i did nothing wrong <laughs> as dsp would say because i've said it before to many people i think a lot of our bookings are wasted on us i saw um recently that amazing dj called um narciss or narcissist i forgot he says his name narcissism or narcissist or whatever he's playing i think in the pickle factory or they're playing in the pickle factory right and again great dj one of the i think you know one of the next ones coming up who looks like they've got something about them for sure and they're having to play in the pickle factory like it's such a shit venue no not the best sound um not the best raving experience the search is flipping such so, sort of putting um it's just horrible i hate it you know it's just not the great club to be at and you know just the other what was it a couple of years ago there was a shoot in there and shit so it doesn't attract the flipping greatest clientele and that's where that person's playing right one of the next up-and-coming djs one of the ones that's fucking killing you on the scene is having to play at one of the worst clubs that we have in london because we don't have that many good ones it just is what it is we're kind of you know we're kind of um 
we're kind of stuck in that regard. We don't really have anywhere else to go. It's just, you know, we, you have what's available. You have to make the best out of it and hope that you can kind of go from there. So let's see what happens going forward. But again, Berkheim experience is always a good one for me because I get an opportunity to actually rave properly, um, which I don't really get a chance to do anymore here because, you know, it's just not the same vibe as it was maybe in the past. So I'm eager to see what I go on for that and everything, you know, and obviously to see the, the, hear the new sound system that everybody's been somewhat raving about. Some people don't like it. Some people have got, you know, some people are a bit, you know, probably don't even notice there was a new sound system, but I'm really eager to see what that ends up sounding like. Um, and some few other bits and bobs, maybe there's a new bunch of bouncers that I've not really known or interacted with. There's going to be so much stuff I'm going to be looking forward to, to checking out. So I'm really, really, really eager to see um what's going on when it happens and when I'm there. So, um, you know, if you see me on that weekend, look, look out for me. If you see me, give me a wave, shout out, Ago. you know what I mean? Let me know while one. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it. Um, let me actually read that. What did this person say? Somebody said this in the Bergheim, what you call it, community subreddit about the speakers that have been just been installed, a new sound system in there. They said, um, so I could finally see and hear um, the thing. And here's my first impression. These are subjective and I'm not a sound engineer. Aesthetically, they're not as sexy and iconic as the old dance stacks that as they miss the peculiar three piece shape of the back protrusion in the center part and front tail at the upper part. Basically now the base cube at the bottom, I think not as tall as before, but I could be wrong because I don't remember exactly how tall the part was. The different grew at the front and partially extends the height of the cover and the central part, which is also covered um, in some sort of measure. It's difficult to see indeed the top is composed of two separate vertical rectangular speakers placed next to each other and has a classic white f1 diffuser and a black part above it like a classic f1 rs speaker but upside down if that makes sense the overall shape of the back from the side is now a two-piece con configuration also the grill that extends in the height is also on the sides and it's not close above and for now at least if you try to place anything above it like you did before it will fall inside above the bottom base cube and there's no way you'll recover it the center front and the rear speakers hanging from the roof are still there and seem to be the good old ones to me and there's now an extra very little bare speaker that I'm not really used to. The tax are now rotated to all the fire towards them in the center. About the sound, that's what I want to hear. The sound, they said, I have moments of infusive and moments of perplexity. When I went past a wardrobe and started climbing the stairs, I felt bold and louder than before. But when I entered the Bergheim floor, that boominess disappeared and I felt again only in the main bar. And, oh, wow, really? The sound feels like it, the sound of the main dance floor feels like you're in the main bar. That's a bit concerning. Even though the sound of the main bar is better than most of our clubs here in London, that's still concerning for them. Rotted. As first impressions, I feel the sound is now more full and even on the left hand side of the floor where standing in line with the stacks is really pleasurable. And for the mind and standing in the line with the base, with the cabinet is also pleasurable to the body. On the right hand side of the floor, I don't feel the same fullness or the, uh, the same fullness or there seem to be more zones that were sound experience. As someone said, not only bodily exactly, the podium zone between the right decks seems sonically dead. On average, in all the sun floor, was it the little, sorry, the little bare speakers in the front right corner revived the area with a positive influx of high frequency. So I think it's just too early for me to draw any conclusions, especially, um, being biased by many years of knowing exactly how to expect and what sonically feel amongst every spot on the dance floor. So a bit of a subjective view there, as that person pointed out, I'd have to go and obviously see it and hear it to believe it. But 
as per usual, as I always say, these guys are really, 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 really lucky because they can expect to have most of their clubs have half decent sound, right? Most of their clubs have a specific sound engineers who tune the decks who tune the sound system um, specific to who's promoting or who is playing or what type of records they're going to play. It gets really nerdy over there because they take clubbing very seriously. So these sort of things are incredible to see. But I can't help but think to myself, man, I wish we had a bit of this in London because I remember that being the one thing that I couldn't get out of my head when I went to print works. And I think that's the one thing that I think makes London raving hard. I think if you don't have much experience going abroad and going to other different places around Europe, especially, and different festivals and shit and clubs, you won't really notice a difference. But once you go to one, it's hard to ever look at our club and seem the same. Because I remember that's the first thing I noticed when I walked into print works when it was still open here in London. I noticed the sound didn't match what the building looked like because the building obviously reminded me of what Bergheim is right that kind of um industrial warehousey type of a feel but then you walk into it and it kind of felt like um it kind of felt like a set for a movie or something right like a film set or studio set where maybe there might be some noise going down on down there because they're filming or they're shooting something but for the most part everyone's just milling around that's what it sort of like sounded like and by the time you got to the front of the venue or the of the dj booth sorry where it was in that little triangle bit where sorry that little rectangle shaped dance floor area that they have where the main i guess printing press was for the old print works or where the drums were, that's where the sound gets better. But you have to go right to the front. And that probably explains why in London or in the UK, we have this right to the front culture, which is something that probably stems from our live gig and, you know, kind of scene that we have here. But even in clubs, people run right to the front just to stand and stare at the DJ, which I've never understood. Or even if you want to dance, you don't have space because there's people behind you literally squashing you into the flipping barriers. But the reason why people do it is because if you paid £60 to go and see a DJ play in a club, you're going to want to hear it better. So you want to go to the front. Um, but obviously going to the front for me, it just it makes me feel claustrophobic. I feel too constrained and it just isn't fun. You can't really dance around. You can't really turn around. You can't really be loose. It's just bait and I'm just not a fan of it. So that's what makes it hard to kind of enjoy those sort of spaces. But these guys went out of their way to improve the sound system. It still probably needs a bit of bedding in process. It's still going to take some time to get used to, or it's probably never going to match up to the old sound system because like your old club experiences, they're so tied to like your, you know, past experience. They're so tied to a moment in time that you had. So it's very hard to divorce that. So maybe if they were better technically, no one would obviously hear that because you remember what it was like the first time you walked up those stairs. I think most people who'd ever gone to Bergheim will say that. They all remember the first time you actually trotted up those stairs, was making sure you weren't falling down. You were seeing all these amazing people walking past you who dressed, you know, in all these flipping elaborate outfits. You were hearing the flipping bass just wobbling in your flipping ears, the smell, the smoke, the lights, like, oh, people dancing on the flipping, on the platforms, on the back just incredible so i'm sure that stuff is hard to kind of shake out of your head but again these guys have you know this is this is their life daily they get to do this sort of stuff they get to get nerdy on this sort of things where for the most part the most thing we're worried about is is the club going to be open until six 
can I rave all night or do I have to come here by fucking 10 p.m. to get a rave until four? It's really, really sad. But hey, what can you do? What can you do? I'm so looking forward to going when I go. And I guess London is the way it is and I have to kind of handle it. I can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about it. Moving on from that one, I want to quickly talk about disregarding RA saying that Phonics have a new batch of resident DJs. Interesting. So this is courtesy of RA. It says Phonics... Um, announces residencies with Mala and Marcel Dietman. So South London nightclub Phonics um, has announced a program from September on through November. Um, September's residence will be Mala. We'll go back to back with James Blake uh, this Friday 15th, bringing Cookie, Killer P and Jamaica B to a club. Uh, Marcel Dietman will then take over residency for four Fridays with guests including Ben Clock, uh, Mr. K Alexi, um, Gl- was that Gleston, Kirkell and Interstellar Funk. Phonics favourites, Honey and Anto are playing October 14th. <clears throat> I might actually see the honey gig actually that's pretty a good idea <clears throat> and conduct on november 4th 11th has also been confirmed as well as debuts for bashka oh wow big big look for bashka and my mistakes playing as well in october 13th so there's some pretty good lineups over there um and phonox for the most part is one of our better ones too <clears throat> The only thing that's really concerning about this is the language about residencies and it kind of shows you where we are in terms of club spaces right um or the nightlife scene residencies in yesteryears were an opportunity for up-and-coming DJs like myself or just clubs overall to find new talent to go and find new talent to cultivate that talent and to maybe quote-unquote educate their clientele on you know what they can expect on any given night so sometimes you'd have resident DJs playing from let's say Tuesday to Thursday only or maybe Tuesday to Friday but on the Friday they do the opening set for the big DJ coming in and what that did is that it gave your DJs who are on residence roster an opportunity to play all throughout the week to keep the club full, cultivate a fan base, obviously play on the Friday where it's a bit fuller because you've got a big DJ coming in and they also get a chance to play in front of an audience and learn this, you know, learn the skills of being able to read a crowd and how to open correctly and not play too fast or not play too hard and all that good stuff. Maybe make a connection with the actual headlining person that's there, bloody blah, blah, blah. And, you know, whatever. And then that kind of added to your whole allure and the appeal of your club that you had these resident DJs who, for the most part, were able to hold it down and shell out the place. But then you also had these top DJs coming in to obviously draw a big crowd there. But nowadays we use residencies in London just to mean we're going to go hire this big DJ to come in, a world renowned one to just come along and play for, you know, um, four weekends in a row um, with their friends. That's basically what it is. And it takes away all opportunities from local up and coming DJs to really kind of get any sort of start and footing in the industry, which is why it's so difficult. I've always said to go from like playing in your bedroom to playing in a club like Phonix or Fold or whatever it may be. Unless you're like part of their little community and you talk to people and you're friendly with them, it's really difficult to find a way in. Uh, because if you wanted to find a way in through the residencies and you didn't know these people, they'd maybe hold open sort of like, you know, auditions where you could go, like an open deck sort of thing. You could play a little 20 minute set. If they like you, they could sign you on or maybe give you a trial kind of gig and you can go from there. But nowadays it's more so like a, you know, you kind of have to kiss the ring. You kind of have to go up to the gatekeepers and make sure that they like you and stuff. It's a really odd. So it makes it a peculiar scene, which kind of probably explains to me why there's not a lot of collaboration and there's not a lot of um, bring-ins. There's not a lot of kind of DJs nowadays who are really kind of putting their arms around up and coming guys and girls and saying, hey, 
this person's the next person let's help them give them some sets give them some gigs give them a platform to play um and then kind of you know aid their kind of career along it doesn't happen like in other industries in music especially other genres other scenes it happens quite often but we don't see it in djing and i think the reason why is because it's so difficult to make it when you finally do make it the last thing you want to do is help somebody because it took you so long and it was so difficult for you to make it. So you don't want to just give somebody the keys or just give them an easy pathway to kind of get in, which is annoying, but I kind of understand why everyone is so kind of almost selfish and unwilling to help in any way, shape or form. Not that I'm asking them for help because I would never do that. I'd rather literally die than ask anybody for any assistance in my life. But I just hope that wish there was a pathway there was some sort of lane you could go down that didn't involve having to you know start what mass emailing promoters hitting up fucking venue owners um hitting up bookers and all this sort of stuff still give you on linkedin it's just a bit too much it should be just an easier process like it was back in the day just have residencies be actual residencies for up-and-coming djs and let them play there and i think overall what that would do I think it would cultivate a better scene and community for the clubs because I think that's one of the Fold's special powers. Even though Fold has got a flipping, you know, an all-white fucking resident DJ roster, something you can't, you can't kind of, you know, slight on them is that unfold they do on the Sunday. The unfold they do on the Sunday is usually like a friends and family type of um, feeling type of a thing. They don't put the lineups out and it's obviously a chance for other DJs to play who played on the weekend but can't have their names on flyers because there's usually this, you know, there's usually rules around if you if you played somewhere, you can't play another location, all these dumb rules or maybe they, they just can't be afford them. So if you're a DJ and you're bored, you don't want to be sitting in your, in your fucking hotel until your flight leaves, you can have a quick set, play a fold and then obviously go on your way. But what that's done is that that Sunday has become the real signifier or the real representation of Fold community. People kind of relate or correlate Fold's community more to that than anything else, you know? And I think the good thing with that is that it kind of is now the baseline of what they're about. They might have some sketchy events here and there, but the baseline for their events is Unfold. And obviously it's mostly um, stacked lineup wise with resident DJs, people that you'd imagine would be residents because they're their friends. Even though they're not on the official roster, they're all part of the friends and family there. And I feel like other clubs would benefit from that. It would kind of give their community or their punters, um, the people that go there on a kind of weekly basis, it'd give them a bit of a reset and it'll maybe cultivate a whole different scene in the community where people don't like doing that. And maybe again, there's a reason to it because of the high rent costs and shit. They can't really afford to have resident DJs like myself who are no ones and unknown to play there because they literally, you know, the flipping light bill is probably in the hundreds of thousands. They just can't afford it. They just have to make sure that they are always getting people in who can sell tickets, who have a name, who have a bit of clout or whatever it may be, fame, bloody blah, 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 um, so that they can hopefully get people to come through the door and then obviously hopefully buy drinks and all that good stuff. So I get it, but I just wish the language was different and I just wish there was maybe a club that will take more of a chance and do that sort of thing because I think it's necessary and it's much 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 needed especially for someone like myself coming up like how else will I be able to play in these places if I'm not if I'm not willing to email these people and beg them that that and I just think I'm good and I think I'm talented how would I else would I go there do you know what I mean it just becomes a bit difficult and a bit sketchy to do so but I guess maybe that's already the answer but apart from that the flipping um what you call it the the honey event is something i'm looking forward to checking out 
and obviously the Malajunta event as well is going to be really good. But Honey and um, what you call it and not Malajunta, the Honey and the, what's her name? And Mama Snake are the two events that I'm really looking forward to going. Where's the Mama Snake thing happening? Mama Snake is October 13th and Honey is September 29th, I think, right? Yeah, October 13th and yeah, October 13th is over here. Uh, no, there it is. Sorry. Boom, boom, boom. And then, of course, we got also the other one I mentioned as well. So I'm really looking forward to checking that out when it does end up happening. So big up Phonux. Big up Phonux. Next on the list, we also got this courtesy of RA regarding London's O2 Academy Brixton um, fight to reopen. And they've won it. So they've now been able to reopen. And the funny thing about it is that this is the biggest example you need of the you know, the double standards or the rules for different sort of venues and institutions. Many a clubs in London have closed for far less reasons than two people, unfortunately, passing away due to kind of basically over ticket, you know, selling over the amount of tickets that you actually have available in terms of allocation inside, or maybe from ticket outs, I don't know, but or just from just poor crowd management on the outside and security and shit. But essentially, two people lost their lives trying to um, attend a concert there. I think it's for a Shake concert. And you would imagine something like that would result in a club losing its license and not be able to open at all. But obviously, the O2 Academy Brixton is probably tied to Live Nation. It's probably tied to a record label and all this murky, backwards, dubious, sketchy, dodgy industry stuff that's allowed it to essentially be able to push back and be able to reopen because if this happened to any other independent nightclub or venue that you know in london or in the uk there's not a chance it would reopen not even a chance so this definitely shows you the double standards that exist in the uk and uh you know the selective sort of shutting down of clubs based on who's actually behind them and whose money, whose pockets are getting kind of lined and shit. It's really unfortunate to be fair. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't have wanted to close because it's an iconic London venue, but I just think if this was an independent venue, there's not a chance in hell this would reopen. If fucking paper dress vintage, which is a horrible kind of comparison because you know, it's not the same capacity or whatever, but still it's a cool little spot here in Hackney. But if paper dress vintage had to had the same incident there's no chance it would reopen it'd be closed from then on it'd basically be r.i.p to paper dress vintage just kind of move on but they've been able to kind of move back again which it says everything about what's going on so let's read the article it says historic london venue o2 brixton will reopen soon after several months of closure the decision is to reinstate the venue's license was made at a review hearing at lambeth town hall on september 11th and 12th the venue can reopen only once it has met 77 new conditions designed to promote staff and public safety lambeth councillor david mohammed hashi shared a statement on the decision here's part of it stronger doors new crowd management systems more detailed risk assessments a new ticketing system a new centralized control and command center as well as a new security and management of the venue were among the measures approved so proposed by amg at the hearing to support their aim to regain full venues license so it can reopen and making sure we never have a tragedy again like the one in december 2022 so basically everybody in there is going to get fired which is a big move and uh, you know I was, you know it's probably unfair to the people that didn't do anything wrong but hey it kind of is what it is and then they're going to install a whole complete different process to get people in and out of that place so i'm wondering how they what they're going to do how they're going to do it will they rip off the original doors 
Like, I wonder what they're going to do to make that work. Um, AMG will now need to put in place agreed measures to enable the reopening of its much loved venue, which is part of the Brixton's cultural heritage and has been enjoyed by millions. We'll be working to closely monitor all licensing conditions to ensure that the safety of the forefront of the venue's future operations. So obviously they're reopening. Um, like I said before, it is, um, not a surprise considering their links and politically industry wise that they were going to reopen they were never going to re- be at any risk of closing because of the money involved because of the people involved but again it just shows you how dodgy the nightlife or entertainment scene is here in london when it comes to venues and what stays open what doesn't stay open because it really doesn't make any sense but hey congrats to them i guess and r.i.p to the victims that's the first thing and talking about RIPs, this is a sad one, courtesy of Resident Advisor again. It says, um, Leipzig DJ and producer Alma Mata dies at age 32, which is absolutely no age to pass away. It says the techno artist lost her battle with cancer early this week. And unfortunately, the only reason why I remember checking this out or remembering who this person was, because I remember their set on whore many years ago, maybe two years ago, actually. Um, and it kind of was the first thing I thought of as well. Oh, damn, this might be the first person I can think of from Hall Radio or from their live streams who maybe have passed away. Like, that's a, obviously a dubious and a horrendous um, claim to fame and something I probably shouldn't mention. But that's the first thing that came to mind because I remember her, um, enjoying her DJ set that she played here, as you can see, from September 15th, maybe a couple of years ago. Um, so, yeah, RIP to Alma Marta. Let's read a bit of the um, the, the article. It says Leipzig DJ Stephanie Merton, a.k.a. Alma Mata, has died at age 32. Merton's family broke the news on Instagram on Wednesday, the 13th. They said, you were and will always be such a wonderful daughter, sister and sister-in-law, aunt, friend and musician. You have taken so many people on musical journeys with your sense of ingenuity and talent. There was so much love and lightness everywhere you were. No words can describe how much we love, appreciate and miss you. Oh, fucking hell. That hurts. Um, Merton had spoken openly about her illness in previous posts, revealing that she was receiving treatment for um, glyblos, um, glyblastoma, um, a fast-growing and aggressive brain tumor. Mamma mia. Um, is that the same thing that um, Michael Bibby has? Damn, man. Praise to Michael Bibby. Hopefully he, fight, he battles through. Um, known for her melodic brand of techno, Merton released music on Sondringham Records. So on soldering records, Sonderling, Sonderling records, sublabel, um, rolling. She also performed at clubs such as Berlin's um, Menschmeyer and Club Ost and Distillery in her native Leipzig. Read the Instagram caption here in full and visit um, and revisit Alma Mortar's horse set from September 2021. So yeah, I'll link to the set in my description to check it out, but I really do recommend. It's a really fun listen. And um, yeah, man, RIP to Alma Mata gone too soon 32 is no age to die and yeah man fuck cancer in it fuck cancer forever and ever thoughts and feelings go out to her family and friends thoughts and feelings go out to her family and friends then i went to move on talking to a little bit about the man united situation so eric ten Hag has given obviously his post-match um press conference for the game that we have happening later on tonight against Bayern munich um i wouldn't be surprised even though we're away from home that we actually do perform well against Bayern. We have a tendency to do that. When we face the better teams, we end up kind of, you know, pulling up trees and performing to our needed level. And the team looks like a team and not like a bunch of individuals. And they follow Ten Hag's instructions and they take their chances and they defend well, blah, 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 blah. 
Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. But this 3-1 loss against Brighton, the general mood around the club, the lack of clarity when it comes to the Glazers and whether or not they're going to sell and just overall the mood around the entire club. I think it's imperative for Ayrton Hag to get his selection and his tactics right. I think he could even afford us losing that game against Bayern if we actually look like a team, if we perform well, if we there's a lot of effort, if there's um, a lot of drive, if there's a lot of compactness with the team, if we look fluid, if we're pressing all together. I think he actually might get away with even a trouncing if we look like a team. But if we go out there and perform anyway like we did for the, you know, outside of the first 50 minutes of that game against Brighton, he's going to be in big trouble. And the only thing that's annoying for me about this is that I actually don't want Ten Hag to get sacked, not because I rate him as a coach, but because I think it's going to excuse the players who have essentially been the one constant fawn um, during this 20-year run of us being you know, a joke of a club and not getting back to where we need to get back to. Those players have been the one consistent. As Roy Keane once famously said, they throw every single manager under the bus and they've done it without fail. And I think those players are the ones who need to really pay the price for where we are now as a club. It shouldn't be someone like an Eric Ten Hag, but unfortunately it will be if he doesn't get himself in shape or he doesn't figure stuff out because it's much easier to sack one person than to sack an entire squad. But obviously I would want that. I'd want to maybe get rid of, I'd say even 13 players and get rid of them and just start again. Some you could sell, some you could cancel their contracts, some you could play in the reserves, but there should be a process in place where we can just kind of move on and kind of restart things because the fact that we're still lining up with the likes of, you know, flipping Scott McTominay, Johnny Evans came back to the club. We've still got Maguire at the club. Donny van der Beek is clearly not manager's plans. He's still there. Martial, Rashford even. Um, Bruno Fernandes is the main person. There should be options. He should be like a an option in a squad, but he's the main person and he's probably taking his foot off the pedal. All these things I think aren't, you know, ideal. So I would want that to happen. So I really want Ten Hag to survive the next few weeks to get through it and not kind of shit the bed which he's looking like he may do because that press conference after the Brighton game, he looked very nervous. He looked very flustered. Um, he didn't really have a good response for when the journalist corrected him and said, you know, because Ayrton Hag mentioned in the press conference that every team has spent money and intimated that even Brighton has spent money. And then the journalist had to correct him and say, no, that actual starting lineup of Brighton was like 25 million. There was a, loads of, a bunch of free players, a bunch of players bought for like single digit millions. Whereas that 25 million or whatever it cost wouldn't be enough to probably cover one of our players' wages for the year. So clearly there was a bit of disconnect there. And he was obviously a bit taken aback and he looked really flustered. So he's not looking in the great, greatest of shape. The team is not looking great. The leaks from the club about the bust up between Bruno Fernandes and I forgot who he's talking to. And then I think Lindelof and um, Sandra Martinez are concerning. All, all rows point to like there being a real big problem in the dressing room, especially the stuff happening with Sancho. I don't know. I just hope it doesn't happen that way because if it does, it's going to excuse the players and they're going to get away with it once again. I want the players to face the consequences of their actions too because they've been, you know, the one constant form provide, presiding over our inability to get back where we need to get to. So the Sky Sports News article says, Eric Ten Hag says he has never been able to play or pick his best side, sorry, for my United since becoming a manager. It's somewhat true, but again, I don't think he's going to get any sympathy from me because he also refuses to rotate. 
he doesn't want to pick his best team, but then he always plays whoever is available. He considers his best team. He doesn't rotate them, which drives me fucking crazy. Um, this whole adage people have about, oh, Bruno Fernandes is our best player. So because we don't have anybody who matches his levels, we have to just play him all the time. It's like, that's not how that works though. If you've played in any level of football, you don't have ever players that are untouchable. You have players that always have to compete and play for their spot because when you have players that can just do what they want, most players that do what they want and know they're always going to play usually have stinky attitudes. It's kind of difficult not to feel like that because you know you're untouchable. You know you could, you know, put in 3% effort, but then if you do one good thing, it kind of excuses all the laziness that you did. And I think Rashford and Bruno are in the same sort of ilk when it comes to that. But anyway, the article says as follows. Manchester United manager Ten Hag says he's never been able to select his strongest eleven because of the squad inconsistencies and injuries. Speaking ahead of United's trip to the Allianz Arena to face Bayern Munich, Dutchman explained. He said, um, Rafael Varane, Tyler, no, uh, this is an article, sorry, he didn't he say that? He didn't say that. It said, Rafael Varane, Luke Shaw, um, Tyro Melassia, Sofian Amrabat, Mason Mount are among those on the injury list. With Ten Hag also confirming Harry Maguire will miss the Champions League, um, commitments with a complaint. Um, Aaron Wambasaka has also been lost since the weekend. Um, Jaden Sancho and Antti remain unavailable due to respective off-the-field issues. Of United's 21-man travelling squad, four-out goalkeepers, while Tom to Ten, Ten Hag sorry, has been able to name five defenders. One thing is true. From the start of the season, I don't think I've ever started with, in my opinion, the best starting eleven. Um, there was always injuries. We've always got injuries apart from the period we are in now. I have experienced it in the past and managed it. You have to deal with it. I like these situations because you have to handle it. And I know that to do that, it's focusing on the process. But that's the thing I don't think he does enough. He doesn't think of creative solutions. So if you say Bruno Fernandes is our best player and he has to play every game, there has to be a better solution to make him more um to make him more effective in games and if he's not effective there has to be a clever solution to bring somebody else on the pitch who can do a job who maybe isn't the obvious option but someone could maybe fulfill that role because i feel like having a player on the pitch just because they might do something special is not the right way to go about things when they don't perform you know nine times out of ten especially against the top clubs it's just not something i want to see at my club i want to see everybody's challenging from their positions how it was back in the day when fergie was here no one really had a guaranteed spot whether you were beckham whether you were Giggs, whether you were Keane, neville cantona lewis saha ruven listeroid andy cole dwight york like everyone's place was up for grabs and if you didn't perform somebody would take that spot and that's why it should be um, the United boss already under scrutiny and things could get a lot more calm, comfortable if your side suffers a f uh, against the six-time Europeans in one of the standout fixtures of the upcoming week. Um, so United have lost three of their opening <laughs> Premier League games. Brilliant. Thank you for reminding me. The doctors are dealing with the problem, says so Yedid. First of all, injuries always come in top five football. We are living on the edge. But that's a problem, though, right? A lot of these injuries... And a lot of these injuries need to be looked at because it's clear that there's something wrong with our medical team or the way that we condition our players because they're getting injured for doing basically hardly anything. That's the issue here. Um, of course, we always analyze things, but we also have to deal with the effects. We have to get the best out of it. We need to make the next step, integrating Rasmus Hoyland and Sergio Regulon. Ten Hag's belief about the path is why he's not getting thrown off the kilter about negativity towards um, heading into the Champions League game. He says about the negativity. No, we don't feel that we need to a reset. We don't feel that we need a reset. Absolutely not. 
we're in a process that you see is parts of the game we play very good, but also parts of the game we play our standards. I don't think there are parts of the game we play very good. I think we play okay, not very, very good. Um, but anyway, you know, he's got to do what he's got to do and say what he has to say. Um, but the negativity is there. And I think the players are feeling if what's heard be true, if what we heard was true about him knowing what's going on and stuff. Yeah, Harry Kane's going to be the the Harry Kane story is an interesting one again to end it with because Gary Neville and a few other these pundits they're so cocksure that if United would have signed Harry Kane it would have instantly made us title contenders which I don't believe I think Harry Kane would have inevitably stunk up the place like we do to every other player that's signed for us there's not one player that signs for us that comes to United and just is consistently good they always have a little dip and that's mostly because of the flipping scrutiny and the level they're playing at. I understand, but that is obviously not an encouraging sign for players and for people going forward. So let's see what happens against Bayern. I'm not feeling optimistic. Um, but again, I hope the manager doesn't get sacked because it's going to absolve the players of any guilt. And that's the last thing I want to see. That's the last thing I want to see. Also, I want to move on and talk about Diddy's new album called The Love Album Off The Grid. Um, it sounds like it was made off the grid, which might explain why it sounds so amazing. But this legitimately might be my standout contester so far for album of the year. I don't usually throw out those type of suggestions this early on, but considering how much of a vibe and atmosphere and ambiance this album sounded like, I'm honestly thinking this could have been a movie. This could have been a score for something like it's so good. So, 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 so good. Um, there's over what 21 tracks, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 23, sorry. 23 tracks. Um, many different features. The Justin Bieber song. <laughs> fuck me. But, um, Swaley one's great. Um, Diddy and Josie, Diddy and Niger, Nova Way. And one thing I have to give the guy credit for. He does get a lot of like trolling and memes because of that, you know, be up, be up, be up in your video, all that sort of meme that people know him for. But he actually do a really good job of not overly sprinkling himself on the record. He could have easily done it if he wanted to, but he, there's, he's not heavy handed with it. It's subtle. Sometimes you don't even notice it the first time. So big up Offset for like being aware of that and letting the music speak for itself. And the music did. The music is hard, man. It's really, really, really good. And everything about it, I love. I think one of my favorite tracks, standout ones for sure, is Kim Porter at the end featuring Babyface and John Legend. That might be one of the tracks that you play during a funeral or during a wedding or something and you're gonna bawl your eyes out like it nearly had me in tears like that track is so emotional um it's amazing to hear babyface and john legend crooning back to back it's absolutely incredible to hear that got me in my feels um i love the track with mary j blige called i like um i love the ty dollar sign in jeremiah features throughout because you're reminded of their level of talent when it comes to Ty Dolla Sign, you're reminded that he has this amazing ability to do amazing features, but his own stuff just isn't hitting the same, unfortunately. You've got a really good track by Justin Bieber called Moments, which might be one of my standouts. You've got an amazing Burner Boy interlude, actually, which is somewhere, I don't know where the Burner Boy interlude is, but it's just a random interlude of Burner Boy just croning, and it sounds so good, legit. This album was kind of, I felt like it was made for like a sitting or maybe a bit of love making or something. It was made to be enjoyed from the beginning to the end. 
that's why it sounds like a score it goes in different directions it has these interesting little skits and stuff that are really funny and cool and sweet and adorable it's just it's just a really really good and well put together album say what you want about diddy's business practices i've said a bunch on my pod on my social media accounts and you know it's warranted especially considering the recent topic about publishing and how he essentially has extracted all of the value from the publishing and lined his pockets. And now that he's lined his pockets, he's kind of thrown the scraps back to the rightful owners. All of that is obviously scummy. But again, the annoying thing about it is that he's not the only person. It's like a standard practice in music. That's why he's doing it, right? But just doing it to your own people is a bit scummy. But that aside, when it comes to music, when it comes to that level of artistry, this guy is on another planet. To be fair, it's no surprise though, because I remember Last Train to Paris, um, that might be one of the best albums I've ever listened to from Diddy. Ever, ever, ever. And he's got a lot of great compilations and shit, right? And I think Last Train to Paris was legitimately one of the best R&B albums of all time or the contemporary um, R&B albums that I've ever heard. It was so, 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 so good. And so surprising that he's been able to do the same thing when it comes to this collection of essential great R&B records. Like, I won't even call it all R&B. It's just really good music. That's the thing that I really like. It's just really amazing, emotional, and just fantastic music that you can really kind of connect to um, and you can share with, with people. And yeah, I've enjoyed it, listening to it this entire time. And I'm, I can't wait to listen to it in the gym, actually. I love listening to a bit of R&B in the gym. I just wish we had a club, a space that we could go to that basically played this type of music not the bait turn up shit but it just played this sort of stuff maybe maybe it needs to be a lounge bar or something but i wish there was a place where you could go to where you could listen to flipping you know 60 to 80 bpm r&b and just kind of two-step and just enjoy yourself like that would have been so sick to see but you know um what can you do i guess you have to just wait for the turn up and hope that they play slogans at the end do you know what i mean <laughs> that's thing that you can do i swear to god that's the only 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 thing that you can do um and obviously check in google just now in the same year that my um sorry last train to paris by diddy came out you know what also came out that year my beautiful duchess to fantasy by drake i'm sorry drake by kanye west drake what the fuck am i talking about um lcd sound system this isn't this is happening um oh my god vampire weekend contra came out the same year wow the black keys brothers album came out the same year 2010 that was a good year for music bro Last Train to Paris, Fake Me Later by Drake came out at that time. Um, Robin Body Talk came out at that time. MGMT Congratulations came out at that time. That might be one of the greatest album releases years of all time. Tudor Cinema, Taurus History. Yo, this defined my flipping time growing up, all of these albums. Kings of Leon, Come Around, um, Come Around Sundown, Fortet, This, this Loved New. He hasn't really developed actually from that sound to be fair, has he really? um wow man this is quite cool to see justin bieber my war 2.0 was there spoons lana del rey rick ross teflon don released on that year okay cool to see so i guess there's something in the water but did he remind all of us he reminded me anyway that he's a real talent um he's a real talent when it comes to his producing thing he's got a real ear for music um and it's no coincidence right he's a he he, he reminds me he's a bit of a raver like he's a party boy so it makes sense he's got good taste 
I think when you're a party boy, you usually end up in weird parties. Not all of them involve you going to clubs with like no lights and, you know, a dark club, sorry, with like a DJ playing. Some of them are kickback type of events. And um, at those, are, those type of gatherings, you have to be very conscious of what type of music to play, how not to scare away the hoes, how not to get people annoyed and wanting to like swap and switch you on the music, um, controlling duties you have to be very aware how you're going to navigate it and someone like him because he parties a lot he's probably ended up at a ton of after hours he knows exactly what works what doesn't work and he was was able to put all that together into an album actually what i'd love to see i'd love to see flipping diddy and that group jungle do a flipping live show or something that would be pretty cool like you start off with slow jams and you kind of end it with that kind of you know faster pace music that jungle make that's obviously been produced amazingly too that might be actually quite cool to see actually going forward but hey what do i know when this comes to this sort of stuff what do i bloody know as most of you guys know russell brand is in big big trouble this channel 4 documentary came out the other day that essentially revealed that russell brand had allegedly sexually assaulted a couple of women and maybe allegedly potentially raped somebody and obviously since then it's been a big story here in the uk and around the world because of russell brand's i guess reinvention over the last few years and how he's kind of turned his kind of life around for these kind of allegations to come back up again they kind of remind people of how he was in the past and they're also a bit of a shock to the system because some people only remember the russell brand that we know and now from the stuff that he does on youtube so it's been a real big kind of shock to the system for everybody involved but one thing i don't agree with because i think you know it's fairly you are in your right to like question the timing of why this came out because it does seem a bit suspect that it's all kind of coordinated at once um maybe there is something involving super junk super injunctions and shit but i haven't really heard anybody who's part of the whole investigation who's part of the documentary absolutely stipulate that the reason why they're talking about this now is because the super injunctions time limits have basically gone i'm not too sure i haven't heard it but you know some of these platforms some of these channels love to kind of masquerade like they're helping the victims but they're actually doing it for their own pockets for their own viewerships and engagements because i'm sure this has been one of the biggest hits on channel four since whenever or probably forever and they're obviously you know obviously they're doing it to help the victims but you can imagine a lot of it is to kind of um, help line their pockets in some way shape or form too all being said I still think this action from YouTube is a little bit too far. Even if you think he's guilty, I think convicting somebody or taking away their ability to earn on YouTube, and which it says in the title, YouTube suspend Russell Brand um, from advert income, is a little bit over the top. That is where I do agree with the idea that unless you're tried in a court of law or unless you're, you know, convicted, you shouldn't have stuff like your YouTube AdSense taken away from you. That doesn't make any sense because at the moment, these are just allegations. They are very disturbing. Um, they're obviously very unsettling when you read some of the details and whatnot, but they're still allegations. And until they've been uh, thoroughly investigated and shit, YouTube and other places shouldn't go this quickly to kind of taking people's monetizations away, especially somebody of a Russell Brand level because you'd imagine the videos that he gets with millions of views even with his even with limited monetization he's probably seeing a lot of income from youtube on a monthly basis so to take that away is a little bit too much for me it's a step too far and if anything what it does 
is that it takes away from the validity and the severity of the actual allegations because now you're going to get all those people out there who are already conspiratorial who already think this is some big massive concerted effort by the powers that be to silence him because he's so anti-establishment all those people are now going to latch onto this because this is a valid concern that the most even the most hardened anti-russell brand person will be like you know what that's maybe a step too far because it does just it does concede that you think he's guilty youtube should have maybe carried on their own internal investigation maybe asked to examine some of the extra materials from that channel 4 documentary something to come to that decision by just reacting based off the outrage online and based off the documentary and then making such you know harsh decisions is a little bit too far especially when somebody hasn't been charged with a crime or hasn't been found guilty of anything if they came out and said hey we suspended his income or his adsense because our advertisers were threatening to pull away that's one thing it's a private business do what you like but it does sound like they have decided to make a moral or a principled decision and take away his adsense because of what's going on and if you go down that path it becomes a slippery slope because i bet you there are many people who have allegations on their name who are still monetized on philippine youtube a big example being probably crystalia I bet Chris Lea's channel hasn't been, you know, suspended monetization and he's been accused of loads of heinous things as well. He's got scores of victims out there, different accounts, loads of documentaries, but he's still be able to kind of do his thing on YouTube and earn money on there. So I'm not really liking where this is going, but I guess again, to kind of center this, because I feel like there's way too much people out there doing mad conspiracy theory spin. This is also a sign that the guy was definitely a bit of a cunt. And I've got some articles to read to you after I read through this that kind of show it. And I think that ability to be a cunt is now coming back to bite him in the ass. He, maybe he's not a cunt anymore, but I think his entire come up in, 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 in England entertainment industry um, has been one where he has displayed his cuntiness and a lot of people have had a lot of bad will against him. There's people out there that like, I'm cause I don't pay much attention to the guy nowadays. Back in the day I did. But I guess there was a lot of people out there that legitimately dislike Russell for legitimate reasons. They have interactions with him. They've heard stories from their friends, blah, 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 blah. But there was a lot of ill feeling out there about him. And I've seen many people on social who are involved in the entertainment industry and the comedy scene here in England clapping and applauding that he finally got what was coming to him essentially. So that again goes back to what I've said in previous streams where if there's any lesson to be learned from this from men, don't be a cunt and treat women that you're dating or even fucking with the utmost respect try and make that experience as pleasurable as you can it doesn't mean because you're about to smash and dash that you just have to be a fucking you know an ogre or a piece of shit about it you can still treat them well and you will avoid all of these issues but if you don't you believe in your own smoke your hubris remains undefeated your ego is out of this moon or out of this kind of universe or stratosphere whatever it may be then you're going to be in trouble so let's read the article it says youtube has suspended russell brand's channel from making money from adverts uh for violating his creator responsibility policy the video platform said it was taking an action to protect its users meanwhile the bbc said it had removed some programs featuring a comedian and the actor from its streaming service yeah but that's a problem though you guys platformed them that's why i don't think they really want to talk about this in depth because if they talk about this in depth they're going to have to accept that they were somewhat complicit in you know russell brand's absolute heinous crimes over the years alleged heinous crimes over the years 
because he that's the only way he was able to do it because he kept these you know high-flying jobs he was protected because he was somewhat beneficial to the people that owned these places or owned these sorry networks and these stations and stuff and he was making them a bunch of money so he was he was worthy of protecting now he isn't they're trying to throw him to the wolves but if you're going to throw him to the wolves you also have to throw the people that created the systems in which he was able to run amok but they won't do that it's either just a point at one person who obviously is a bit of a monster from what we heard but i just would want it to be something that was a little bit more um it covered a more it covered a lot more people but it obviously won't because you know people just like to find their one flipping boogeyman and kind of go from there so it continues says, meanwhile the bbc said they removed the programs it comes after he was accused of rape and sexual assaults in t- between 20 2006 and 2013 the bbc said they removed some content and now falls below public expectations earlier this tuesday youtube person said if creators of platform behavior harms our users employees or ecosystem we can take actions that's the thing though this this is behavior that's been alleged nothing has been he's not been found guilty of it like making the decision based on alleged behavior is odd but then i guess that's probably what people would say when they say like um having a content career or being somebody that makes money on the internet is a privilege not a right some people do say that because these are private platforms that have these monetizations um, monetization options so if they do you have to be aware of how that can negatively impact you if you do get caught in a passer but sometimes you can get caught in the madness and it's not your fault so what then what then you have to kind of sit out and not earn for a, a protracted period of time while this is going on if anything the ability to earn money on these type of platforms is super crucial if you do go for a passer because you can essentially say your piece you can raise funds for your defense whatever it may be it's probably the most crucial time you'll need it but again i think in russell brand's case he was that much of a piece of shit that companies like youtube and individuals couldn't wait to kick him off they couldn't wait because of how much bad will he built up over the years it continues in recent years the former tv and personality radio personality has repositioned himself posting regular videos about spirituality and anti-establishment politics recently ufos to his 6.6 million subscribers and also posts on x for known as twitter and rumble youtube's decision to block his revenue stream applies to all channels that may have owned or operated by the 48 year old it confirmed other channels associated with his youtube page includes awakening with russell stay free with russell and football is nice which have about 500 subscribers between them jesus man he was raking it in on youtube isn't it sarah um Corquedo, author and chief executive of social media analyst agency cork estimate that uh, um, russell made between 2000 to 4000 per video so he's probably clearing like what 50k 60k he was probably making more revenue from youtube than the other platform everything existed to drive people towards his youtube channel so probably it was a significant revenue stream that has obviously now been paused and i think it's over the top i don't think you should do that i think if somebody has been accused of something and or unless they until they get charged i think that's why i i, I kind of like the football model as toxic as it can be and unsettling for us as fans i think the professional football model of until you get charged until you get charged or maybe even convicted sometimes there is no stopping you playing football you can still play football and i think that's the only way to kind of deal with these things because if there's a criminal investigation out there cool you do it but then if you're found innocent for instance what do you then want to do you want that person to be sitting on the sidelines for two years while the case gets done they should be allowed to earn money while the case is still going on like any other regular person would if you had an open case on you um you could still go out there and have your job maybe your job won't want to have you but you can still go and find another job so i think that should always be on the cards but it's hard to defend a guy like this because he's clearly built up a lot of ill will over the years people have clearly been waiting to kind of bring him down and 
even though he felt like he changed, people didn't give a fuck. And I think what it shows is that this whole like, you know, wanting to change your life and hoping people forgive you type of thing is a bit odd when you don't admit your faults. And I know it's hard to admit your faults because when you admit your faults, it's basically admission of guilt. But I think his unwillingness to kind of really come, you know, let him lay himself bare and admit all the dark things he may have done in the past hasn't given anybody any sense of peace. And it's been tormenting them, especially think of that 16 year old girl. I don't know how old she is now, but that's something that she still hold, held, held on to all these years. That's obviously brought her a lot of pain and that she was willing to share on the program. So he's definitely damaged and hurt and left a trail of so many broken people in lives and shit. So it's no surprise that comically he's receiving this type of retribution when he was on the top of the world a couple of weeks ago and all of a sudden it's all kind of come crashing down it kind of is what it is and it goes back to what i said before try not to be a cunt and in an effort to try not to be a cunt or you know to kind of talk about that this is an account from a london or sorry a comedian called london hughes who had an experience with russell brand and this again is another example as to maybe why Russell Brand is in actual trouble. Forget the fucking anti-establishment shit. Forget all that nonsense. But if this is how you behave to people who are in your industry, who are meant to be your peers, who are meant to be your colleagues, this obviously is an example of just how much of a cunt and a piece of shit Russell Brand was, unfortunately. Because again, I was a fan of him too. I found him charming and funny on TV shows and hosting things and whatnot. I found his, his autobiography to be incredibly illuminating and interesting. Even the passages about the sex addiction was not glamorous if you've actually read these autobiography you know it kind of sounds depressing it almost sounds a little bit sickening the way he was always horny and he had to turn every relationship he had with a woman into sex there was accounts in that book of him smashing literal old ladies like literal oaps he would have sex with just to kind of satiate his needs and shit so it didn't sound like it was a good thing to be a sex addict it kind of sounded like a curse to me so that book was really illuminating it kind of opened my eyes to that side of things obviously drug abuse and shit and he was a cool guy but i never really checked for him since then i've not really paid much in mind but clearly in that whole time he pissed off a lot of people in his industry comedians other tv post Catherine ryan said something about him back in the day and now it's coming back again i heard of vanessa felt's articles come back again talking about her bad interactions so many women and people have come out and basically said that guy's a wanker 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 and this person called london hughes has said the same thing as well and this account is again proof that maybe russell is in big trouble because he just didn't treat people nice so london hughes says as follows I was newly signed to Russell's agent at the height of my career. I was a huge fan of the man, so excited to meet him. But my first day at the agency, I was told unprovoked, I was told unprovoked that I shouldn't sleep with him under any circumstances as he likes to pursue women and have sex with them. Imagine it's your first day signed to Russell's agency. He's a big star, big celebrity. He was a big deal in the UK here. People don't understand how much of a big celebrity and a star Russell was. He didn't obviously fish fill his potential because of all this fuck shit. We're now learning. I am anyway, because I always wondered why didn't he fulfill his potential? We're now learning because of this fuck shit he did in the background. You know, usually in the entertainment industry, there is a, there is a kind of function that kind of weeds out all the dickheads. So if you, if you don't see somebody on TV for often, no, most likely, they probably fell off because they're shit or because they're a dickhead. So we can kind of see why, you know, Russell Brand's career kind of went the way it went because, you know, the industry said, no, thank you. You're too much of a dickhead. London Hughes continues. But as soon as he had sex with them, they'd made him feel sick and he didn't want to be around them anymore. This is the fucked up shit. 
so he would have them fired or dropped from the agency. It happened several times in the past and I was 22 at the time and did what I was told and completely avoided him. This is not some cheeky misunderstood man. I'm not shocked by the documentary at all. I believe everything those brave women said. So imagine how much of a piece of shit you are anyway. I'm, in my opinion, this is just something I'm going to say out loud and I'm hoping I'm not going to regret it, but I think this is true. I think if you're somebody as prominent as a Russell, you probably should avoid fucking your co-workers or the staff members you work with especially if you're that kind of guy you should probably draw a line and say in this building this is where everybody can feel safe there is no like you know sex between the flopping it's gonna happen anyway but no relationships you try and make it as a professional environment as possible and a safe place for people just to come and work and have fun none of that nonsense goes there because you're in such a position of power or of influence it just creates a weird dynamic like even if you're a good guy and you end up fucking two people on your staff it just makes it awkward for everybody so to avoid all that i'd put a hard and fast rule no fucking my colleagues no fucking my employees no fucking my team that's it right draw a line there don't do it but if you do do it don't do this don't then make it awkward and be like oh i can't look at you anymore because i just blew your back out the other day like you're making me feel sick which is a horrendous thing to say to somebody and then get them fired from a dream role I remember when I was first coming up and I first had an interest in getting into TV and shit, the one job everybody was kind of vying for was being a runner. And those jobs, even though it's the most lowest job I think you could get to kind of get yourself into working in TV or the entertainment industry, they were so hard to come by because everybody was fighting for them because everybody knew that those were usually the first step or the, you know, the way to kind of get in the door um, and kind of go from there. And they were hard to get. So I can only imagine how hard other jobs being a producer and being at that kind of level where you're working with Russell Brand, all these type of different agencies and shit. It's probably really difficult. And even to get recognized by agencies and have them sign you, it's really hard. So once they do, and then he gets you fired, that is a real big blow to your career. That could be something that you probably will never recover from because the entertainment industry, like sports, it moves quickly. Do you know what I mean, there's always a next person coming up. There's always a hot young guy or girl coming up. Or, you know, if you think you're the most charismatic, there's another charismatic kid on TikTok now doing things. There's always somebody coming up in the background that's going to take your spot while you're out. So somebody firing you at that stage of your career when you're young, 22, just figuring shit out, it could have some very long lasting consequences for your career overall. So it's no surprise that all of these people, imagine all of these trails of people these broken hurt people he's he's kind of affected over the years they're the ones that are probably out there putting out all this bad karmic energy around him which is what basically led to the documentary not some shadowy cabal of influential people in the establishment trying to you know remind him who's boss no it's just loads of people that he hurt over the years some of them way more than others in terms of assaults and rapes and shit and just being a fucking dickhead to girls that it's led to this that's basically it and you know i as unfair as it is for his youtube monetization to get paused reading all these accounts what does you expect you know i mean there's a lot of ill will out there for him but i just feel like going forward there should be a process in place where if you're if you've innocent you're innocent to proven guilty obviously and you should be maybe treated that way you shouldn't be put in a position where you're not able to make money because you've been accused of something. It's an accusation. It might be heinous. The evidence might be compelling, but until you are tried in a court of law and you're found guilty or something, you shouldn't be, you know, your ability to make money and put food on the table and whatever should be taken away from you. If anything, there should be more of an onus on the fans. There should be maybe more onus on the fans. Like, why are you supporting him? Put it on the fans. 
put the if the fans decide to cancel you and don't want to watch you after your accusations, that's their prerogative, right? But it shouldn't be these in- instruments or these institutions in our society or whatever that should be coordinating an attack and say, okay, cool, because you've been accused, you're done and you're out of here. That is a bit weird. It's a bit of a slippery slope. Obviously, it's, it's easier to do with somebody like Russell Brand because what he's been accused of is obviously awful and no one's going to stand here and try and defend it. But it's just... It just leaves a bit of a bad taste in their mouth. But then also to, talking about leaving a bad taste in their mouth, I've also wondered, I've also seen, and I'm also part of it, when this stuff happens, it is quite it is quite lucrative for people, isn't it? Because it gets loads of eyes and, you know, on your stuff. It makes people, you know, watch your shit, whatever it may be. But it definitely is a little micro industry in itself because I've seen tons of people out there who are doing the whole I stand with Russell thing right obviously I saw Anna Cashin from Red Scare say that Andrew Tate stood by him Elon Musk stood by him uh, Ben Shapiro you know not, not the greatest cast of people I think Katie Hopkins not the greatest cast of people but still people have stood out there and defended him and I feel like a lot of it just you're defending him because you know more than likely it's just going to bring you a lot of attention because most people are going to side with the victims. So because you stand down, you're a contrarian, people are going to want to, you know, give you a dressing down and tell you what's what, which inevitably will make you more famous and make you more viral, which will definitely help your career going forward. So it is quite self-serving. And I've seen it happening a lot. It's turned into its own little micro economy, its little scene. And obviously it works on the other end too, people like myself who are trying to be nuanced and balanced about it. You're also going to get your own audience off the back of that too. So everybody's kind of playing this weird game, you know, where it's not really about the victims. It's all kind of about you. Like even me included, it's not really about the victim. It's not really about kind of making sure they're okay or making sure they get some level of justice or whatever. It's just about making sure people know where you stand on something, on some hot button topic, making sure everybody's watching or hearing, listening to you say the thing you're saying and then hope that are going to fundamentally move um, the needle for your career or, you know, change things or give you a boost. Da, 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 da. It just feels a bit gross, but I can see it happening. I can leave she even recognize it myself. It feels a bit yucky. But let's see how it kind of plays out. Um, you know, many other things have happened. I think his agent has dropped him also. Um, many other women have come out and said things. So it's not looking good for flipping Russell. It's definitely not looking good for Russell. So he kind of has to just hold that one in it. He really doesn't need to hold it. There's nothing else that could be done. Also, I need to mention this because you have enemy. There's a David Beckham documentary on Netflix, mate. There's a David Beckham documentary on Netflix. The first trailer is out. The entire documentary comes out, I think, on October the 4th. Beckham might be one of my favorite players ever. He's probably up there with Figo, Totti, um, Ronaldinho, um, Del Piero, Cantona. Like, there's so many players on my list. But what doesn't get kind of spoken about with David Beckham, I know it wasn't in the social media era, but the amount of controversies and scandals that he had, the amount of attention that he got because of his looks, his style, because he was married or going out with a Spice Girl at that time was crazy. And he handled it like a G. He never really had big breakdowns. He never really spoke about mental health or that sort of stuff or came out crying. He kind of handled it all like an absolute pro um, and was able to just kind of keep on keeping on until he ended up retiring, I think, at PSG, if I'm not mistaken, um, in his like, 40s and shit. So he played really long into his career. So he's an absolute amazing guy. I've flipping always been a big fan of him. So I'm eager to see the documentary. But it did kind of remind me of like just how resilient some of our older pop stars or celebrities and icons were back in the day 
obviously social media didn't exist i understand that's one different component but the attention the paparazzi was still the same if not worse because there was no social media these people in your face you see all these papers you see effigies and shit after you miss a fucking was it no after you get sent off in a world cup like loads of crazy stuff happened to him and he was still strong he still you know kept course and kept it moving so i'm eager to see that there's also a clip of Sir Alex Ferguson in a documentary who doesn't really speak to anybody too much anymore. So he's included in it, which is going to be interesting because that bootgate saga was incredible, which unfortunately led to his exit from Man United when Sir Alex Ferguson inadvertently kicked a boot in anger while shouting at everybody in the dressing room and it hit Derek Beckham in the head and made his eye bleed and shit. So I'm eager to see how the documentary plays out, but documentary for Dave Beckham coming out in October let's read a bit of the article here it says directed by David Fish by sorry Fisher Stevens who also did Coven before the flood the four-part series features interviews and never before seen archive footage of the past 40 years of Beckham's life wow man wow um the synopsis for the series says Beckham a four-part documentary series tells the story of a global football star and a cultural icon David Beckham is one of the most known names on the planet yet few people who know who he really is from his humble working class beginning beginnings in east london his drive and determination to win and a battle to find his balance between ambition and love david's story is one of immense close-ups sorry immense ups and downs the series takes you on that roller coaster and builds a surprising personal and definitive story of one of the most recognizable and scrutinized athletes in the world yeah an absolute dying piece of a man as well and it's interesting too because I think of two of the most scrutinized and highly publicized couples in the world. I think of David Beckham, obviously, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. And it's quite amazing how they've been able to, you know, somewhat, you know, for Will, Will and Jada obviously had their issues with their marriage in public. But their marriage-wise, they've been fairly stable. And they've also been able to bring up two, you know, loads of well-adjusted kids. I wonder how that happens. Like, How do you become the most famous man in, in the world? married to one of the most famous women in the world but then you have some really normal well-adjusted kids who don't seem to get in trouble they're not out here overdosing on fentanyl touch wood they're just minding their business enjoying their lives of privilege and wealth and whatever and just having a great time i wonder how that happens like it's not it's not a common thing a lot of these guys and girls freak out because you know it's how how hard must it be day to day to be the son of david beckham and flipping victoria beckham right with everything they've achieved over the over their lives you can sometimes feel a little bit inadequate but those kids have been brought up well and it's testament to them as parents so again i'm glazing beckham i'm glazing victoria beckham i can't wait to flip in listen to this and watch this documentary in full four-part documentary out in october the 4th it's going to be an absolute barnstormer check out on netflix if you have it again one of my favorite players of all time but i think it'll probably be a fun documentary to watch even if you're not a fan of football i think it's definitely going to interest you to kind of get an inside look into what makes someone like david beckham tick i can't wait i freaking freaking can't wait next i want to mention this because i think these are amazing they've unfortunately already sold out and already released but i didn't talk about them on the podcast it's the jound crocs jound justin saunders my guy justin saunders the guy that i was lucky enough to be featured on his blog back in the day right his little blog page thing that he's got um, i'm not sure if it's down anymore if it's here the mood board um the blog where if you scroll down to the bottom you'd say this is going to be the your most favorite blog ever and it'll basically be like a tumblr style type of blog with loads of amazing style pictures of like cars and 
interiors and you know buildings and architectural plans and plants and cool streetwear pics and a few of my pictures got featured on the jound fucking thing mood board i was like so it was a flipping honor back in the day to have that on there so big up jound for doing so but they did a collaboration with crocs like everybody else was doing and they did them in their own very special jound studio way and i honestly do think this might be one of the most best this might have been the best collaboration i've seen in a while because of how minimal they are and because of the, the how they resisted the temptation that everyone else does to kind of go crazy with the crocs and add all the accoutrements and have it be double sold and all this sort of stuff they just kept it very very simple so the classic croc that you know and love the ones that's the flipping chefs and sous chefs fucking you know choice shoe of choice which makes sense because they're in turn insanely comfortable to wear all the way around and essentially they are in the classic sort of like gray and white colorway i've not actually seen them in the pure white colorway but what i do like the best is this little red rivet sorry this golden rivet here where the strap is so it's got a really clear plastic you know a really clean minimalistic sort of colorway but then you've also got this nice amazing rivet here in gold um with obviously the jound logo being embossed in it. it's tastefully done very subtly done but i love it and of course on the strap itself you've got an embossed um version of the molded sort of logo on there too that makes it look great um let's actually read the description because these are always really good the product descriptions they write them really well it says jound brands the crocs timeless classic clog design with meticulous attention to detail i fucking love that <laughs> results in two distinctive pairs of clogs offered in white and slate gray um the embrace the original actually you know what would have been a nice actually like an off-white or like a cream but i like how they go with the white and slate gray right you've got a coke white sort of like ready for the club version and you've got like a worker's gray you've got like something if you want to be in a studio working you might want to nip out and you know water the plants you might want to nip off to the post office and drop off all your expensive magazines that you sold on depop or on vinted or on ebay or wherever you sell your shit but if you want to step out to the club if you want to step out to a wine bar and you want to put on some nice colorful you know um i don't know airy socks or whatever socks they sell in good hood for 60 quid you put those socks on you fucking you know you have an incense in your back pocket you put on your really expensive backpack and you keep it moving so i like that right there's one for the day one for the night like that's what i would do so it continues um i'm glazing them hard i know but i love jound uh um um that so the result is two distinctive pairs of clogs offered in white and slate gray that embrace the original silhouette and elevate it with the elegant brass rivets are they brass and even gold oh even better um, each bearing this, this distinctive jound sheriff logo on one side and a cross logo on the other the iconic cross logo is intentionally swapped out with a jound emblem on the heel strap um, strategically positioned to be visible when the strap rests on the front oh so the jound is the right way around when it's at the front because most people if you, unless you're a fucking psycho wear the clogs or wear your crocs like that you wear them without the strap on the back you don't put them in never put your never put your crocs into sport mode unless you're gonna rob a shop or something unless you're gonna run into fucking you know apple and rip some of their display phones off of the fucking displays or you're gonna rush into flipping chanel and steal some shitty bags to sell to your you know to some barber down the road for the most part wear them without the strap wear them with the strap in the front and you have the jown showing and these brown rivet showing absolute flex i fucking love it um this deliberate choice is aimed at encouraging consumers to embrace a relaxed, non-athletic context. 
I love that. Wearing the footwear, fostering a sense of ease and leisure rather than promoting the active on-the-go use. Exactly. Ease and leisure. So like I said, this is more of a worker thing. You're going to be dragging your feet along the floor in your own home working like you were walking around a shopping center like a flipping Chinese tourist and stuff, right? Clickety-clacking all over the place. And then when you want to step out and you want to go pick up an eight ball or you want to meet your friends at the wine bar or go to this cool little restaurant, you're going to put on the whites. I love it. Um, let's see some more pictures. You see some of the lifestyle pictures. You got the pictures, obviously, of them there. I want to see what the other rivet said. So they said one side says jound and the other side says crocs. Let's see that. I haven't seen. Let's see that if I can see it here. Uh, let's see. Okay, so one side says jound as you can see there. Pure coke white. Look fucking incredible. And then the other one should say crocs, they said, right? Let's see if it says that. Oh, no, it's still jound. Okay. I thought they meant it said it jound. Okay, it doesn't matter. But still, they look sick. I thought that'd be quite sick if they had um, one on each side saying different things. But yeah, you've got the, you've got, you know what they look like in white. They look pretty sick. You've got the label on there too. Oh, so it says Crocs. Yeah, it does. My bad, it does. So it says Crocs on one side and Jan on the other. That's such a beautiful detail, isn't it? That's the thing about design that's really incredible, isn't it? You don't have to do much. Little edits, little changes. And it really does change the whole entire function of a shoe. That's why I'm eager to see um John do a collaboration with Nike and do an Air Force One. I'd love them to do an Air Force One. I'm really desperate to do it because obviously they would rock it and make it amazing. Like just take the classic white Air Force One, maybe lux up the leather, maybe add a different outsole, something, little big details, little design details that would kind of elevate the classic Air Force One, to, you know, to being a little bit more lux, a little bit more chilled and relaxed, maybe make it into a mule. I don't know. I'd love to see them do it. But I think this is a really cool um little um, collaboration and i'm definitely going to try and get a pair of stock x to be fair i'm sure they're not going to go for that much money probably a hundred pounds i'm assuming because their retail i think was like 75 dollars and look at the box too so clean and pristine white box with a jammed on the outside and then yeah you got the footbed thing and the same with the grays um both colors i'll definitely end up trying to get you see the grays there as well with the emblem on the side and then the lookbook pictures are fucking fantastic right the guys wearing the fucking white tracksuit with the white socks wearing the whites um you know looking like they're in some parisian ghetto somewhere looking fucking cool mais oui mais oui mon frère mon frère they look fucking great the crocs don't lie i mean i prefer i'm wearing crocs every single day more so than i'm gonna wear slides i hate nike and Adidas slides i think they look fucking naff but this look with the crocs with some socks on is definitely the way to go definitely the way to go a bit of djing a bit of clubbing um, not even clubbing actually just relax things and they go to pirate studios and record a mix um go pop you know i mean drop off some things at the post office maybe do some grocery run but these are fucking perfect i love them really really amazing collaboration you might just see how much they are going for on um StockX because that'll be a real litmus test i'm gonna say they're probably going for 135 that's my initial reaction um or initial guess i would say like how much they're going for so let's see so let's go for the whites let's see how much they're going for because they already came out on the 14th so they're not gonna be available to buy for retail so how much are they selling for on stockx.com for the white pair of the crocs in my 10 or maybe i'll get an 11 because my feet can sometimes be a little bit sticking out the back if i get my actual shoe size so let's see how much they go for in the 10 it's loading bear with me a second as i get this thing to load body being by the boom hopefully it does the doom there it goes there it goes okay yeah 138 it's saying that there was a last sale like 105 but they're going for 138 if i go for the other sizes here so 138 in a size 10 let me see what the other sizes are saying um size threes are really expensive so the smaller size is like 215 
Um, and then a size above a size 11 for me is 137. Uh, but yeah, so it looks like the smaller sizes, size three to four seem to be the most expensive. And then the size 10 that I have, or that, that's my suicide, sorry, is going to be a, um, what you call it? 138. And then the gray pair. So what's the most popular colorway? The most popular colorway is definitely white. It looks like. And then the gray pair is 124. So not too bad to be fair. I'm not going to lie. I'm definitely looking to get both of those um, very, very soon. I love the brass little rivet on the side. I love the two colorways because I think they're, it's like a, it's like very rarely do you get shoes sometimes that come in a two pack, you know, um, that you need. And I think this is a good option. I love this little graphic they got here. Now 20 pound lower. Um, let me add this to my flipping list of what you call it favorite items so I can flip and keep an eye on them. I'll add it in the, in the 11 and the 10. So I kind of know Wagwan. Uh, last sale was 152 in the greys or the slates. But you can get them for 132. And let's see the other shoe sizes here. Yeah. Oh, wow. Size 3 is 550, 557. Whoever's buying that grey for that price is crazy. What? Did someone sold a, a size 4 in the slates for 1,000? <laughs> Fucking hell. Wow. That is crazy. So big up them. Um, again can't wait to get these in hand myself they look absolutely fantastic and let me add actually the whites to my list as well on favorite so i've got them all already looked at and locked and loaded and as soon as i see a little bit of a drop in price boom i'm gonna bounce on them and i'm gonna get um a couple pairs for myself like i said very rarely do you see shoes come out where you say you need two um of them and i think i need two of these i need a two pack obviously i need the whites and the slate grays i can't be just having one I need the whites and the slate gray. So let's 10 and 11 there. Let's click confirm. And now we're going. And now we're going. So yeah, big up Jound. Amazing collaboration. Love everything about it. And I can't wait to get these sexy beasts on my feet myself sometime very, very soon. So that has been the Agassino Zynga Show episode number 707 i think right thank you so much for tuning in been a pleasure to have your company as per usual if you're listening to this via the podcast app you will hear my tune of the day so make sure that you are listening out for that and if you like it add it to your itunes or spotify and stuff and thank me later there's of course the patreon that you can access which is available for one dollar per month that's where it starts from it has all the extra bonus episodes of my show on there which i upload on there every single monday and sometimes more than that and if anything else you can find it in the descriptions links to me all that malarkey but until then i'll see you guys later thank you so much for tuning in it's been a pleasure and a chore take care be safe peace